I'm Dawn Durham and welcome to Patent Pod. In education, we hear terms and phrases and we may not always know what they mean or how they apply to us as educators. Our goal is to, is to help education practitioners strengthen our own knowledge base and in turn achieve higher student outcomes. With this in mind, we want to talk today about universal design for learning. Joining us for this conversation from LessonCast is Nicole Tucker-Smith. Nicole, thanks so much for joining us on Patent Pod. We're so excited to have this conversation with you. Let me just start off. I want to kind of put us all on an even playing field here. When we say universal design for learning, help me out. What is universal design for learning? Because I think we need to start there. Yes, thank you so much, Don, for one, this opportunity, and for two, that question. Because I've actually worked with a lot of educators who say, you know, I went to this full day training and I still can't tell you what UDL is. And so I like to, in, in true UDL fashion, give multiple ways for people to comprehend what UDL is. And I usually like to start with an analogy. So I might say, um, so Don or anyone else who's in the room, uh, have you ever driven a vehicle? Have you ever driven a vehicle? Sure, okay. yes. So have you ever had the pleasure of sharing a vehicle with another person, even if it's just to rent a vehicle? Yes. Okay, all right. So imagine it is uh, Monday morning, you get in your car and someone else drove it the day before. What is one of the first things you do? I look to see if there's gas in the car. Okay, you look to see if there's gas in the car. Anything else you might check? Check the mirrors, check the mm -hmm. seat adjustment, check where the steering wheel is. Right, so you first, you need to make sure you have gas, right? Depending on who it is you're sharing with. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you, your natural response is, I need to check the mirrors and adjust them. I need to adjust the seat because the person who drove it before is probably not the same size as you. Even if you are the same height, you may have different leg lengths or maybe you want the steering wheel a little lower or a little higher. Now just imagine if cars were not adjustable. What if the seat were fixed and what if it were only a uh, seat or fitted for the average size man? How many of us would be locked out of driving yeah. and we wouldn't be able to drive safely or comfortably? Now imagine that classrooms are our vehicles for learning. And let's think about what's adjustable in our classrooms so that learners are able to drive their own learning in a way that they feel safe, the way they, they feel comfortable, and they have a sense of self-efficacy, like I can actually drive myself somewhere. When we don't have things that are adjustable, then we're limited to how far we can go, how safe we feel, how comfortable we feel expressing our ideas. And what UDL does, it's an approach to help educators think about what can be adjustable in their classrooms. It's an approach to help us think about what options can benefit our learners. And if we think about the learners who are most likely to need the most adjustment and then design those as options for everyone, that's when we have a universal design for learning approach. Nicole, I think that word that you said there, approach, is so critical. This isn't a yes. curriculum. It's not a time of the day. It's not something we do. It's kind of the lens at which we look at our classrooms. And you're really talking about is, and I love that car analogy, and I think that's such a great way to kind of hold on to this concept, is when I think about my classroom and my practices, what is adjustable to allow students full access to learning opportunities? Am I hearing that correctly? 
Exactly, exactly. And UDL provides guidelines to help us think about what may be barriers that we can remove or supports that may be beneficial. Because as one individual, I can only see what works for me. Unless I pay attention to the learners or other experiences, I'm going to miss what may be barriers for them. So the guidelines are like prompts to help us think about how can we provide options in the classroom. And options is an important thing to understand because when you get in the car, somebody doesn't come and adjust the seat for you, right? You have the ability to adjust it yourself. So how are we designing options that learners can adjust in order to meet the learning goal? So options that learners adjust, not just the instructional leader in the classroom. Another great key piece to think about. And you talked about barriers. I, am I understanding this, that this is really about breaking down any identifiable barrier, not just the one I perceive for myself as the learner, but what might be present for all of my learners in the classroom. Is that, is that accurate? Exactly. That is accurate. And what I found is that it's really important to actually define that word barrier. Okay. Because sometimes, well, one of the key things to understand in UDL and the UDL approach is that learner, excuse me, that barriers, barriers are in the environment, not the learner. So I often hear things like, you know what barrier I have? Students aren't motivated. That is not a UDL approach to thinking about barriers. Barriers are not in the learner, barriers in the environment. And so I have to ask myself, what might be present in the environment so that students aren't showing up as motivated? Mm -hmm. And that may seem like a lot of a burden on the educator, but actually it gives us agency in thinking about what can we do in the environment to support our learners? Because here's the thing, we can't change anybody else. You cannot, no matter how hard you try, you can't change anybody else, but we can design a space where change can take place. Mm -hmm. The other thing, one more thing I would like to say about defining barriers, I found that this is very helpful for folks to think about. Barriers are forms of unproductive struggle. Now, productive struggle is good. And we could do a whole other episode on productive struggle and when to apply it and how it's beneficial and enhances creativity and all of those other things. Barriers are unproductive struggle, meaning that there is no benefit to that barrier being there in order to achieve the learning goal. And what, usually I'll say things like, you know, when you were trying to submit something for work and your computer shut down and deleted all your stuff, that's unproductive struggle. Not helpful, you're struggling, not helpful. It's not about your resiliency at that moment. It's about, can I submit my materials for my work? And so that's something important to think about. Barriers are in the environment, not the learner, and they are forms of unproductive struggle in terms of meeting the learning goal. I love it. Look elsewhere before you look at the child. I mean, that's what we're talking about. Look at the environment exactly. to identify those barriers that are causing this unproductive struggle, right? Yes, and, and try to not make the environment the home life. Mm, okay, that's a Because usually point. when I yeah. say the shift, the first thing people say is, oh yeah, the, the big barrier is the home life. And I'm like, can you change that? You can't change that. So let's look at barriers in the learning environment, things that we do have more uh, control over. That's a great piece. Look at what you can control, not what's outside of your control. So Nicole, let me ask you this, and you were alluding to this, but I just want to draw this out a little bit more. When we think about student outcomes or the impact universal design for learning has on students, what can we share? What can you help us understand with what is the ultimate impact on students when we take a UDL approach? Yes, well, the goal of UDL is to design, is to develop expert learners. 
to design environments and learning experiences that develop and cultivate expert learners. And now expert learners is really about, are our learners purposeful and motivated in their work? Are they, um, are they uh, resourceful and knowledgeable? And are they strategic and goal-directed? Are they able to learn about their learning and be able to move forward? It's more about the process of learning than did they achieve certain, something on a particular test. Now, do we want them to be able to achieve highly, proficiently? Absolutely. But it's about to what extent are they able to grow and progress? So that process versus product. We really yeah. want, when we think about that expert learning, which is the goal of a UDL approach, is to create these expert learners um, or to develop or to cultivate these expert learners. And we're really talking about that, that a process of learning. We still want that product. We still need something to look to say, did we learn? Did we meet our, our learning objectives, our goals? But it's really about that process that we go through. Yes, yes. So now let me ask you this, because I know this is something that's kind of um, folks are grappling with when we think about Universal Design for Learning, or UDL. Is this only effective for students with disabilities? Why or why not? Yeah, so uh, many people might start with that assumption that it's only effective for students with disabilities because it did start in trying to think about how can we remove barriers for learners with disabilities. But it is actually a tier one approach that's beneficial for everyone. And it's this idea of, if I think about perspectives of learners who are most likely to be marginalized, that can be students who need more challenge or students who need more support or students who just present a wider range of variability that might have originally been considered. And so by thinking about those who may need more support or more challenge or just more barriers removed, then we are actually designing those options in the experience for everyone. And here's the great thing. Another um, core idea behind UDL is what's essential for some may be beneficial for all. And this is where we think about we can design in options that later support differentiation. Right. A lot of folks think, but well, what's the difference between UDL and differentiation? And so UDL is a proactive approach. Even before you meet your learners, you can be proactive and say, well, I know my learners are going to vary in terms of language and just how many words they know and, and their background experiences. I know they're going to vary in terms of how they like to get engaged. I know they're going to vary in terms of how they express their understanding. Right. So you are proactive. Think about who's most likely to be marginalized, who needs more challenge, who needs more support. Design those options to the best of your ability in order to remove barriers. And then as the students are learning, because those options are there, it actually makes it a little bit more feasible to do differentiation because those options are already there and then you can be responsive in the moment or even better yet, students can be responsive in the moment. It also removes some of the stigma that students have when accepting and applying accommodations and modifications. If we've already created an environment where it's okay for everyone to learn differently, and in fact, it's a bonus, it's a strength for everyone to learn differently, because when I see you using that strategy, I might think, oh, that can help me. Or maybe I might need that strategy later. And so this is a, a really core idea behind UDL, what's essential for some, maybe beneficial for all, and it's supposed to work hand in hand um, with differentiation. They're not competing, they're more complementary. 
Oh, I love that you talked about that. And so I just got, I want to kind of just bring that back to the forefront. When we talk about UDL, we're talking more like a proactive, it's kind of in the design of your instructional plan. And that differentiation is um, a little bit more reactive in a positive way, but it's happening kind of at the moment. It's like in real time adjustments or shifts or things that are, that are occurring for different learners in the classroom. Whereas that UDL is kind of looking beforehand to the best of my ability, can I start to identify or predict barriers that may come about for learning? Absolutely. And then when we differentiate and we're responsive and we realize, oh, I hadn't thought of that before, mm -hmm. then in future instruction, that can be an option that you design in. So it really leads into further opportunities for me as the instructional leader, as well as my students that are walking into the classroom in the future. Absolutely. And you talked about UDL as a tier one approach. I think that's really important to kind of hone in on. We're not talking about advanced tiers. We're talking about core instruction, general education classrooms, the instruction that all students receive is really, should be approached with this kind of UDL mindset. Am I understanding correctly? Yes, it's, it's designed to be the best first instruction, right? The best of our ability, the best first instruction. And the idea is that if we take some time upfront, it may require more time for planning. Okay. But if we take some time upfront, are we able to then not try to reteach re our way out of a situation, right? A lot, a lot of time is lost in reteaching or especially when it comes to multiple means of action and expression, or it's this idea of have I created the best ways possible for learners to truly show what they know. Because if I don't provide options for learners to show what they know, then I'm going to have a limited understanding of what they know in the first place. Mm -hmm. And then that in turn is not helpful when I'm designing my instruction because I don't have a clear picture of what my learners truly know and don't know. And so when we think about UDL, it may be a little bit more time and an investment up front, but time is saved in the long run in terms of one, teachers having to run around and do everything for everybody individually. And then two, those moments of unproductive struggle that are barriers that just don't need to be there. Yeah, barriers in the environment that we don't need to have put in place. So let me ask you this, as a teacher, as, an, as a practitioner, I wanna get to my best first instruction. How do I go about doing that? How do you propose we go about looking at a UDL approach in our classrooms? Yes, so I tell, I tell folks this, uh, the UDL approach, and you can apply this approach to lesson planning, you can apply it to designing for a particular learning moment, you can design it for setting up your classroom environment. I've even used this approach to planning a family vacation. Okay, so this is a once you see it, you can't unsee it. So this is how I, I break it down for folks. And so it starts with the very first step to applying a UDL approach is to first get clear on the goal. What is the goal? Anytime someone says, well, where should I begin? My question is, what is the goal? What is our goal here? And that may seem extra simple, but actually sometimes we're operating as if one thing is the goal when really we've centered something else as the goal. So we need to get a clear understanding of, and everybody on the same page, what's the goal? Now, once we've defined that goal, then we ask ourselves, hmm, are there any potential barriers that I can anticipate? So here I'm using my educator judgment, my previous experiences. Are there barriers that I can anticipate might 
be in the way of learners achieving that goal. Hmm. Then from there, I ask myself, hmm, okay, based on the goal and potential barriers, also I need to embrace learner variability. How are my learners variable? And not see that as a problem, but as an opportunity to create a richer learning experience for everyone. And once I've done those first three steps, clear goal, anticipate barriers, embrace learner variability, then I design options. So clear goal, anticipate barriers, embrace learner variability, and then design options. And as especially if I'm just getting started with UDL, mm -hmm. I might identify one or two options. And UDL framework, I think about those as windows of opportunity. Right. And so I'm not going to go to the UDL framework and try to hit all nine guidelines. I'm going to say, well, based on my goal and potential barriers and how I know my learners are going to be variable, then I'm going to think about how I might design options. And I'm going to give you two more examples. I know I'm trying to keep the answers a little short, but two more things to help this because this is really important for learners to understand excuse me, educators for understand who are learners at this moment. But when we think about, I'll give you a, um, an analogy and then I'll give you a classroom example. So when we think about driving with a navigation system, like a GPS, mm -hmm. what's the first thing we put in the navigation system? Uh, the address we're going to. Yeah, exactly, the destination, the address we're going to. Well, that's like the learning goal. And then the navigation system will say, well, where are you starting from? And it'll say, are you starting from your location or somewhere else? The, the starting point is like learner variability because all our learners are coming from a different point. But then we have options, right? We've said, here's our goal. Here's where we're starting from. But then we have options. We can choose the mode. We can choose different routes. We can decide, I want to avoid tolls. And then once we choose a route, right, and we go on that route, if we make a wrong turn, the navigation system doesn't say six out of 10, eh, you failed. No, it says recalculating, recalculating, because we're committed to you getting to your destination. And that's what UDL is. It's a mastery-oriented approach to thinking about what's our goal, where are learners starting from? So based on that information, what are some options I can design into the environment? And a lot of folks want to start right with lesson planning, but I say start with a learning moment. Before you get into lesson planning, start with a learning moment, like giving directions. Giving directions is a learning moment. But so many times in our classrooms, directions are just oral. They're just out loud. And that could be a barrier for many students. I've seen it with my children. Mm -hmm. And so we have to think about, all right, well, if the goal is for them to understand what there's a barrier if you only have one way to perceive that information. So then what are some options? Can I have, can I say it out loud? Can I also have it written down? Maybe a picture cue, maybe an example, you know? So there are other ways in which we can communicate that information because one of the chief things I hear is students don't follow directions. The barriers aren't in the learner, they're in the environment. So what can we do about it? Oh, I love it. I want to go over these steps again to make sure we have this correct. First one, clear on the goal. Let's make sure that we all understand what is the goal we're looking for here, and then identify those potential barriers that we may anticipate our students encountering. I love that embrace learner variability. Embrace 
all of our learners and then design those options. And I think that GPS analogy really kind of helps to say, where is your starting point? Where is the destination? When a little hiccup occurs in the route, we readjust to get you to that destination. And I think that's such a great point. You had mentioned that when we talk about kind of like starting, right? How do we start with the universal design for learning approach? I, I hear you saying, just kind of dip your toes into a learning moment, right? Start there, just kind of get your feet wet, get a sense of what it is we're talking about with just something as simple as looking at you, how, you how you deliver directions to students. That's an opportunity to, um, I'll say this phrase, I'm sure it's not correct, but UDL up, that, that portion of your classroom. And I love that, you know, this UDL approach is really master oriented, mastery oriented. And I think that's such a great, you know, kind of a great point to drive home that again, this is an approach, it's not a time of day. It's not right. a curriculum, it's not something we do. It's the approach, the lens at which we look at for all of our classroom instruction or um, our own personal instruction, as you would say, when you think about your family vacation, how can we use a universal design for learning approach? So I, I think that's wonderful and, and such great information, Nicole. I can't thank you enough. I know myself included, you know, I've looked at UDL and I said, I'm not sure I really grasp this. Where am I going with this understanding, this knowledge? And I really think this helps myself and all of our practitioners out there have a, a good solid understanding about this approach of universal design for learning and how we can begin to think about those environmental barriers that are causing mm -hmm. that unproductive struggle and how we can look at learner variability and start to build in those options. So I, yeah. I thank you, Nicole, so much for being here on Patent Pod with us today. Well, thank you so much. Thank you to your audience. The work that we do is so important for all of our learners. And I just thank you all for being a part of just making such a difference in this world. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you to all of you in the field. You are truly an inspiration to us all. A special thank you to John Ragsdale for producing this podcast. We'll see you next time on Patent Pod.